Justin Angle in studio with me. Time for the business angle, the overlay between business and sports. Uh, you were getting a, a a little weird about the the Michigan M Trigger? over here. Trigger? Yeah, I uh, so those the, there's one part of the, there's a whole part of the studio you can't see over here. I got a whole bunch of memorabilia and cool stuff on this side too, right underneath the camera. But I have this gold M. That's actually it's the original letter jacket from Missoula County mm, Public High School back from yeah. like the 1940s or 50s. But it very much sometimes looks like a Michigan M. I've had some former Grizz in here too that get triggered and they're like, "Ooh, that's a Montana State M." Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is in fact yeah. though just Missoula County Public High School. But uh, I don't know what you think of Michigan winning the uh, the national championship. Well, mixed feelings. I mean, I do have three degrees from the University of Washington, so I, I am a proud alumnus of the institution. However, as a grad student, you don't really um, gain much of an affinity for the sports teams. Right. Um, that said, I was pulling for the Huskies, um, but, you know, kind of not a huge surprise that Michigan won it. Um, you know, we were talking a, a few moments ago, like there is some taint to the to the title and you'd be interesting like how do you define cheating in this new world and right. what is cheating and uh, what are the consequences who the heck knows but um, on the other hand nice to see one of the big brands in college football that hasn't performed at the highest level in a long time kind of finally um, reclaim some space and a team that's not in the SEC winning the title is probably good for college football in general. I, I totally agree with that like I said uh, off the top I mean if you have the there's there's certain entry points you have to have to be able to get a seat at the table. Yeah. But there's been schools like Texas and Michigan that have had all of those entry points checked and then they haven't had any sort of uh, chance to sort of get their way into it. And so to me, it's like sort of ironic. It actually reaffirms that the things that we want to believe are great about college football, <laughs> coaching and having team sure. camaraderie and like yeah. playing for each other. Those actually do still exist. Because look at the teams that that made it all the way to the, the final yeah. four. They, yeah. you know, that's what was the fundamental change. It's not because Texas got richer; they've always had all the money. They just got a coach that knows how to get the guys to buy into something bigger than themselves. I think it's the same thing at Michigan. I, I suppose that's true. I, you know, I I, I think it, it might be. Throwing a nice positive veneer <laughs> on, on what actually happened. I mean, we can we can sort of write a story to fit the facts as we like it. But I, I'm rooting for that outcome. You know, I, I, I'd like college sports to sort of stand for more than it is now uh, in some ways. But um, that might be a myth that never was. Who knows? The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Introducing SmartBiz, Blackfoot has the ultimate Wi-Fi solution for Missoula's small businesses. With out-of-the-box dedicated networks, top-tier security, network failover, you'll stay seamlessly connected. Just 20 bucks a month, no contracts. To find out more, visit blackfootsmallbusiness.com backslash better Wi-Fi and connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. We will get into some more on the FBS and FCS National Championships, but... This is like the this is the end of an era when it comes to business and yeah. sports and marketing in sports. Tiger Woods and Nike, sort of a mutual parting of ways, a 27-year relationship. Yeah. And I was really thinking about this today. Michael Jordan and Air Jordan and what all of that became is certainly alone in terms of the way that that just sort of yes. defined this this world of sports endorsements. But it's crazy that there ever was even a close second, and this is the one that was the close second, is Tiger Woods and Nike. I think that's right. I was sort of thinking about that parallel earlier today. I mean, 
the Jordan brand and Air Jordan, it, it had some characteristics both of the brand and the market that has allowed it to endure. And, and the first and foremost thing, it was this definitive sub-brand from right. the beginning. You know, it, it, it was not... After the Jordan 1, it was very um, clearly not a Nike shoe. Like, they took the swoosh off of the prominent placement on the sure, side. And so yeah. it made it this own thing. And... Basketball is just a part of pop culture in a way that golf is not. Like, kids are not going to wear golf shoes and golf clothing to school. They might wear Tiger Woods gear, but basketball shoes, or I mean, golf shoes are never going to be cool for middle school kids, high school kids as fashion items, right? Um, so, yeah, the, the golf brand and the Tiger Woods sub-brand just didn't have quite the sticking power and the potential for this transcendence that the Jordan brand did. The, uh, at the same time, you know, there have been many off-ramps for Nike in the Tiger Woods time, right? I mean, you could sure. argue that they should have gotten off the bus in 2009. No doubt. Uh, both in terms of his reputation and his golf career. Now, um, you know, they stuck with him and their position was he never cheated the sport, Right, mm-hmm. and he continues mm-hmm. to like hold the public in in no a doubt. unique way of any golfer I think probably we've ever seen, um, and that has a lot of power. Um, it's not quite clear why this has happened. Some speculation that Nike wants to get out of the golf market, right? And we're seeing other players kind of move off of the brand. Um, they discontinued the hard goods side of the brand, the clubs and such, in 2016. Uh, it's unclear how much money they make from the the, the apparel, but um, this could be a move in that direction. We don't know yet. The, the there's a couple of things about this that was was totally unique, but. You're right in the fact that Tiger Woods endorsing Nike, especially when he was at his peak, in certain ways, maybe it's bringing more people to the game. In certain ways, maybe it's making people choose Nike when it comes to Nike golf. But I don't think that was ever their direct intention. I think they realized they were getting such amazing marketing for all of their other stuff. Like, I guess Tiger Woods was selling basketball shoes without playing basketball. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are choosing Nike for their running shoes because they have this brand awareness because of Tiger Woods. Yeah, I mean, he is a vehicle to um, demonstrate the Nike brand story. Yes, exactly. Excellence in your chosen field. Right. I think that Lance Armstrong was similar. In a way, totally. I, you know, not a huge growth market for Nike and cycling. Like, are they going to sell cycling kits? Do they going right, to sell cycling right. shoes? Maybe. Uh, don't have a lot of like the the. It's it's not core to what Nike's about that product line. But what Lance Armstrong was about was core to Nike, and so uh, yeah, uh, an endorsement like Tiger Woods it just it, it represents excellence and performance and championships and that's what Nike's all about. And when they first started the campaigns too, I mean these were that's the I think the indelible thing that you'll remember about these forever is how edgy and brash and sort of take no prisoners. I mean, Nike literally said, "Here's this multiracial guy, this biracial guy, and we are going to we're going to totally play the race card yeah, right out the gates yeah. and we are going to ruffle feathers and we're going to make that cool and mm-hmm. they did. And that's the part about the Tiger Woods story. I think that's why we keep going back to it as like a cumulative public is he's risen and fallen so many times. But his ability to to handle that, that's sort of the beginning part of him handling the adversity, right, was being put on this crazy platform 
and having to endure right out the gates and, and be able to shoulder it for you know a decade plus before any controversy arose. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible human story. Exactly. Right? Like to be put on the pedestal, to have all of that success so early, to sort of not only live up to, but exceed the hype in so many ways. And then to have a pretty um, infamous fall from grace no, no. in a personal life that just invited all kinds of drama and, you know, reporting from various outlets outside of sport. I mean, really difficult. And, and, the, and the health problems, the back, the knee, the car accident, all of these things. And to come back from it time and time again and to still be in the game, to still be fighting. And now, you know, you're seeing, and I don't know how engineered this is, but, you know, you're seeing a sort of, you know, a, a senior savvy playful Tiger Woods on the golf course embracing some of these younger guys. He's kind of like transitioned into this elder statesman role in a, in a way that I think probably the pre, um, you know, the pre-downfall Tiger could never have done. So, you know, maybe it's a story of human drama, but also some human growth potentially. I think the two things that will never be replicable about this are one, like when Tiger was at his peak and he was dominating major championships, you're talking about a guy decked out from head to toe in yeah. Nike on television. This is like a six hour a day billboard yeah, for your company. That is a crazy investment. Like people say, oh, Nike paid him so much money. It was worth every dime. Yeah. There's no doubt. The other part is Michael Jordan had a long and outstanding career. He only played in the NBA for 15 years. Tiger Woods was, uh, I mean, well, it remains to be seen what happens down the road. But, I mean, a nearly three-decade run yeah. with a company, that, that's also, I just think, irreplaceable. Absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll probably not see the likes of this sort of partnership, a 27-year partnership again. Well, it's now ESPN Radio. It's the business angle with Justin Angle here uh, on your radio dial as well as on SWX Montana Television. Um Despite our all the controversies surrounding Michigan and and Jim Harbaugh being this 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 really hard to like character, man, he's he he just is so strange. He's just a strange man. But I think that that's his like unwavering focus and drive is like why I think he he is successful. Also, I think his win at all costs, for better or worse, is a part of it. But he had this interesting thought. This is actually before the semifinals of the college football playoffs. Somebody asked him what he thought about the current state of yeah. NIL, and he sort of hummed and hawed and said, I don't have any thoughts about it. And then he just mind-purged and just said this whole long monologue all about it, and he said, I think we should go to a revenue-sharing model. I thought that was really, really interesting because you and I have discussed NIL. Okay, I think we're both on the same page. If you have a, an image that you can monetize, it's a free market. I think that that should be able to happen. NIL collectives where everybody's just getting paid money to exist. They don't actually have yeah. to market a business or a good. That seems not in the spirit of the rule. But the revenue sharing idea and having sort of a hierarchy within the revenue sharing, like if you're a starter and All-American and you are helping the Michigan sell out the big house, then you get a certain cut. It seems a little bit more, um, seems more like a, a, the structure of a traditional business and that maybe maybe more sustainable. I don't know. What do you think of this idea? Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to really tell if it's sustainable or not. I, I This is an area of really deep conflict for me. I mean, I was a collegiate athlete in a non-revenue-generated mm -hmm. sport. It, ge mm -hmm. it generated a ton of philanthropic revenue. Sure, right. right. A, lot, a lot of people contributed to the rowing team. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, 
But, you know, I, I do sort of hold on to the myth. I, I had the, I used this phrase earlier in the conversation. I hold on to this myth of something that maybe never was, that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. representing your institution meant something, sure. something that transcended the, the, the business aspects of it. And we've just seen slowly the chipping away at all that and to the point where, you know, with the the two biggest moves in the last five years have been the transfer portal. So now you can just move from school to school and then you add on NIL, which, you know, I think in concept, yeah, if an individual wants to monetize their personal brand, that seems okay. But the introduction of these collectives and these, I mean, completely fraudulent nonprofits. These are not nonprofits <laughs> that are right. serving as these intermediaries. They're tax shelters for rich people That's that are exactly trying right. to bribe kids to go to school. That's, That's what right. they are. That's right. Right? And so they should not have tax-exempt status. They should also not be able to operate in this dark space. And, you know, you layer these two factors together, and it's like, what, what does a college sport even represent now? I mean, what does putting on the Grizz jersey mean? You'd like to think that it means something to, to, to a Montana kid, um, but it only means, an, I mean, it, it, that there's a test of that theory, and that theory comes when somebody from another school writes a big enough check. You'll get, you'll get to see how much that means to somebody. And, that, and that's the part where I think that there's so much uh, animosity and, and, and uh, w- people that follow the FCS level of football are sort of waiting around on pins and needles now because it's like, what well, what point does the bottom just fall out of this? I mean, I, yeah, University of yeah. Idaho just had their greatest season since returning to the big sky, and they made the playoffs for the first time in 30 years, and they won a playoff game, and then they lose, and then they're, they're, all of their reputable players just walk out the door, and it's like, man, that's... And I think people now, you know, you saw the Cats lose earlier than people thought they were gonna, and then all of a sudden they had a bunch of guys going to the transfer portal, getting these big-time offers from these big-time schools, and now in Missoula, people are gonna be waiting on... I mean, I've already gotten like 100 texts about it today, What's going on? Is Junior Bergen getting any offers? You know, and yeah. and I think that that's that's where they need to find some sort of regulation. Because how do you possibly hate on an individual that can get money that can change his life? You can't. You, you can't. can't. But that shouldn't be part of the structure, in my personal opinion. There shouldn't be just this open free agent bidding war. Yeah, I I think that the you know I didn't answer your question about the the revenue sharing proposal. That does seem like a a model that could have some potential legs. Sure. I think you probably need to create contracts. Right. And, you know, is it a two-year minimum contract, three-year minimum contract? Do you try to lock up a player for four years? Do you put contingencies around it? Like, yes, you can leave early for the draft. But, like, if you're signing a player to come and play for you, you should be able to put a time horizon on that contract. Right. And that sort of negates some of the transfer portal problems. Right. And then you can, you know, then you can build some allegiance to a team and maybe develop some longevity for a product and have these kind of teams maybe resurrect some form of an identity that transcends just the coach. Because even the coach is a bit transient these days. But, you know, that revenue sharing model kind of takes out um, the sort of dark under the table thing. And it also um, provides like an incentive for the institution to um, maximize the revenue of its of its sports teams in a way that endures, right? It introduces a a management incentive to kind of think a little bit longer term if it's structured in the right way. 
that's my whole argument is that if we are going to have a basically free agent market that is a free enterprise, then you have to have some some sort of rudders upon that. Yeah, yeah. And I think contracts are kind of the way to do that because mm-hmm. that, you see that work in pro sports, right? Like you can take a gamble on signing somebody to a one-year contract, right? Right. But you kind of know you're just sort of rolling the dice for short-term success or maybe rolling the dice on being able to show them a good experience and get them locked up for a longer-term contract. Or you can sort of pick off somebody you think has development potential and sign them to a longer-term contract. And now I think with, with this, there needs to be some education. I, I'm not convinced that the education and advocacy is going to be um, best in the form of agents. Right. You would like to see universities develop um, you know, education and support and counseling at the same time that they'll have a bias in how they educate the players on how to go after structuring their contracts. So it's going to have, there's a lot of ethical implications and incentive implications that need to be thought through carefully. Because I I keep thinking about, right right now there's collectives going at Montana, Montana State, some of these other big sky conference schools. And I keep thinking to myself, okay, I get where the people that are starting these, they're, they're trying to say, hey, how do we hang on to our star players and not have them go to the Power Five? But it seems to me that because there's so much money and revenue being generated in the Power Five, it doesn't matter what Montana and Montana State, et cetera, get going in terms of their NIL collectives because the gap is going to remain the same no matter how much. Like if Montana gets to the point where they have a million dollars in the collective, Texas A&M has $38 million yeah, in yeah, their collective. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, if, if Junior Bergen, if Texas A&M wants him, they're going to get him. Right, right. I mean, right, like, like when like you, when, not, you know, even at, let's say Montana, it, I, they're, I, the goal I'm hearing from the good old Grizzlies collective is that they want to give a half a million dollars in the collective by next year. That's like one or two offers that these big schools are making these sure. guys. I mean, yeah. we, we've heard of multiple quarter million plus offers to to players. So I, I guess it just seems futile. I don't even know if you well, can close the I gap. I mean, you're going to be able to keep players on the margin, right? Uh, you're not going to be able to keep superstars. And you're going to be able to use it for recruiting within pool, right? Across the big right. sky or peer institutions. Sure, right. Probably going to be able, right. You, know, you can create an advantage there. But, yeah, a superstar is going to escape the ecosystem regardless. And, you know, truth be told, that probably would have happened in the old system anyway. That's right. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing. I, I guess to bring this back around on the other side is that it is going to take an incredibly exceptional athlete to be able to get that that level of offer. And and I don't think it's across the board that it's just going to happen either, right? I mean, Troy Anderson was sort of on the, the forefront. It was right before NIO had yeah. fully been gone into full force. But Troy Anderson was offered by everybody to, to leave Montana State during that COVID year mm-hmm. when they were not playing. Yeah. And he didn't. He said, I want to stay here because I know – that you know, this is my dream school. I'm from Dillon, Montana. I want to stay here. I, I do think that's one area where then the Montana schools, like these these schools in these rural places, like Montana, Montana State, South Dakota State. I do I do think what you're talking about, sort of playing for something bigger than yourself. I do yeah. think that still sort of exists, especially with the guys that are from the areas. It totally exists. I mean, I, I have a lot of these guys in class, right? And I, you know, I. I 
I don't want to say that I know them well, but I, I, I see the team camaraderie and the institutional commitment. So that there is, and that in many ways, like maybe that's what college sports becomes. Right. Like we, you know, we divest of the power five and the sort of whatever you want to call that quasi professional. And maybe that becomes a minor league now who cares about minor league football, you know? So if like the SEC becomes minor league football, all of a sudden it's, nobody's going to be interested. It's that they're tied to these institutions and culture and whatnot. So um, I think it's less of a problem that cultural, uh, you know, sort of erosion in a, in, in, in the FCS and the big sky, but at the bigger schools, I think it's a real problem and they're going to have to sort of continue to figure out ways to keep the myth going or really sort of do things to uh, shore up its credibility. The Business Angle, Justin Angle here uh, on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX by Television. It's uh, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Uh, some of this other stuff I think we're going to push down the road, but I just wanted to ask you one more thing about the, the television ratings. Yeah. So this is something we kind of talked about uh, leading up to it, and the uh, FCS, as well as the broadcast partner in, in ABC, a, a.k.a. Disney, ESPN, all sort of in one little umbrella, one big umbrella, they um, they decided last year to move the game to Sunday because they wanted it to be on network TV. Now, on one hand, you say, okay, network TV, that's a windfall for the FCS. It's the first time they've ever been on true network national television. On the other hand, it's during week 18 of the NFL, and you have, you know, all these other games that are going on. And the ratings are back, and uh, it's one of the lower-rated FCS uh, championship games ever. Now, the highest-rating ones, you're talking about about a 1.5, 1.6 million people. This one had 1.05 million people watching it. But when you're talking about a smaller... Uh, sort of uh, market for these teams. That's a it's a significant percentage drop. It's a huge percentage drop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, seems like a bit of a head scratcher. Why you would put your product up against you know the media juggernaut that is the NFL, right? Uh, during a time of the year where it's especially consequential. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, that makes no sense to me. Um, why not put it somewhere else? Where you, I mean, the NFL picking a fight with the NFL makes no sense. It just it it just makes no sense. And and the, the the argument from some of the executives was, well, it's week eighteen of the NFL. A lot of the teams sit out all their players. Well, there was also I think twelve NFL teams that were playing to get into the playoffs. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I think a. a not a strong argument in my view. Yeah, some teams, some of the playoff pictures locked up in the NFL. Sure. But you know that the networks are going to put on TV the games that are most consequential. <laughs> that's right. Right, that people want to tune into and try to grab as much ratings as they can. I mean, that's why they added another week to the schedule so that they could harvest that revenue on another week. Um so yeah, this seems like a head scratcher, and and hopefully they rethink it because you know you'd like uh, the FCS championship to have more of an opportunity to uh, to get in front of more eyeballs, right? I mean, it's an oppor- th- those games are showcase games, so the opportunity to access new markets to tell this story about how this division of college football does it differently. And so that's, you know, that's a missed opportunity. Is this sort of uh, indicative of, uh, we've talked a lot about all the different things that go into if Montana or Montana State was to make a a move at, a run at moving up. 
one of the big factors is media market, media share. Is this an example of that? I mean, do you think the fact that these schools are from Missoula, Montana, and Brookings, South Dakota, it influences uh, the, the low ratings? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to see a big-time conference in FBS be attracted to a South Dakota or a Montana school. Right. Because what's in it for them? Right. It's not like when the Big Ten came after Rutgers, right? It was Big Ten that came that, that, after that's Rutgers, right. right? Like, Rutgers, crappy at football. Right. But represented a huge media market. It's giant. Right. Giant market. So I'd see the school like Villanova making the leap to, right, to right. FBS before a school like, you know, the Montana schools or any of the Dakota schools. The media markets are just too small. And, you know, with consolidation in the media space, the the numbers you have to acquire to grow in that space are huge. And there's just not enough eyeballs in the States to uh, justify that. The highest rated uh, FCS championship game of the last decade plus came in 2019 when North Dakota State played James Madison. That game was on ABC, but it was on ABC on Saturday, not on Sunday. And James Madison's a bigger media market. James Madison's a way bigger media market. I mean, you're talking, you know, not quite in the D.C. metropolitan, but it's it's, it's close, close enough. Close enough that you have that sort of dense population, yeah. and you're going to, yeah, there's just going to be a ton of eyeballs that can pay attention. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was, 2.68 million was the rating for that, so yeah. uh, almost three times what this game on Saturday, and I do think that's right. I think there's three factors that go into that. One, James Massey comes from a much bigger media market, as does North Dakota State. Fargo, North Dakota is a significantly bigger media yeah, market true. than Missoula or Montana or South Dakota. Now, that's one part. Two, I mean, it's a showdown of the two juggernauts. I mean, those two teams had played in the playoffs and the national championship game yep. several times. Yep. So they got the, the competitive draw. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that the cup, the competition, the media markets, and the fact that it was on Saturday. The Saturday placement. Is I think the Saturday too. placement helps. Yeah. I don't know. In your mind, I guess the last question for you, then business angle, Justin Engel, what would be the ideal time for for this? I, I mean, mean I, I don't know. You could try to create something unique on the calendar. Um, I don't exactly know what that is. I think Saturday's a start. It's unclear what it would be up against on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no other college football games. There's right. no NFL. NFL. Did the NFL have a Saturday game last weekend? They did that too. Okay, so that might be, you know, real estate that you might be able to negotiate yeah. away, if, particularly if it's on a network that's also airing the NFL. The, the NCAA is dead set on having this game after New Year's. Yeah, I think there's also be, another bit of a head scratch. I totally agree because you have the bowl season. You don't want to get overwhelmed by the bowl season where you know, none of those are drawing huge numbers anyways. But yeah. there is kind of a pick and choose there. Okay, so I get that. But then it just seems to me if you did it, and you don't want it to be on New Year's Day when you have the big New Year's Day bowls, but I just feel like there's some time there between Christmas and New Year's maybe. I don't know. I just feel like waiting till after the New Year so then you're competing against the top. Yeah. Football, it, it's just, it's just a, a strange decision. It's a crowded space. I think to really kind of break through, you'd have to do something creative, like play on a Tuesday night or something like that. That causes complications for traveling and, and getting people live to the stadium. But doing something creative, um, you know, because it's, 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 it's not a winning game. 
right? It's you go, you're going up against big competitors That's in right. big spots, and to break through is a hard bet. So my my advice would be come up with it, try to play a different game, try to be creative and figure out a different way to get this game in front of people. I totally agree. The business angle, Justin Angle. I want to ask you about all the influence this could have on University of Montana's institution. We sort of projected that, mm. uh, but we, we don't have time for that today. But he'll be back, and uh, we'll be back. So thanks for being here, man. You got it. Happy to be here.